I'm about the Amish myself. <laughs> Creators of the Bloody Mary. Are they? No. No. I mean, I'm <laughs> that was the, that was the Mennonites. 98% sure not, but I guess I don't know for sure. <laughs> that was those the crazy Mennonites. The Mennonites. The Mennonites from space. Dude, you loved the Mennonites when you were a kid. You <laughs> I did. You loved that pharaoh one and his sarcophagus. Yeah, and Goody Samson Troyd and <laughs> Ooh, Goody Goody Proctor and Goody Samson Troyd and that was a Crucible reference, Django. I don't know what you guys are fucking. Talking <laughs> you ever about. seen the movie The Crucible with Winona Ryder <clears throat> and Daniel Day Lewis? Oh no, I haven't. <laughs> it's that's an old book, right? Yeah. Did you ever read like the book The Crucible? Play. Yeah, I have. No, yeah. I haven't. Daniel Day Lewis is not surprisingly incredible in it one of his nine <laughs> movies or whatever yeah yeah and, you know probably one of seven he got an academy award for yeah he's nailed it i'm gonna go make some more shoes yeah <laughs> i'm gonna get uh, i'm gonna take my sandwich crusts out there guys <coughs> oh, hot sandwich crusts those were that they were the first uh punk band out of Oregon in presents the perfectly acceptable podcast by the comics place in bellingham washington it's a conversation that we have weekly about comic books but it's also mostly an effort to make each other laugh uh, and that's why we're here and that's why i hope that you're here also comic book talk it's a comic book show everybody cradle of civilization mesopotamia we're here for you i am always i'm jeff i'm still Django. i'm roman yeah that's a trio right there we should make <laughs> shirts with our heads on them Oh, that's a good idea. We should have podcast shirts that have our th- the three heads drawn. I mean, we could pretty much have it be blue sh- versions of the of the logo. I would love to wear a shirt with my own head on it. I would love to wear a shirt with your head on it. <laughs> if we made individual shirts with just one person's head and the name on it, Roman would sell the most. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I think we can all agree on that. Uh, that's right. It's a comic book show. It's episode 319. And so that you believe me, I'm going to play this voicemail from our friend William Elmer. Hello, and happy episode 319. Hey, guys. Um, I read uh, the new issue of Nightwing this week that has the uh, first-person POV view for Nightwing, and you know, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, It's a gimmick, and I think they've done a couple of these uh, issues throughout the Nightwing run that have been, have been pretty fun. Um, but it did leave me kind of thinking a little bit about gimmicks, in comic books, uh, we've seen lots, and I've seen you guys, I'm sure you guys have seen way, way more than me over the years, whether it's just like turning the comic landscape, doing 3D, um, all the stupid things that Bad Idea has done in terms of like releasing different, the same comic, but different in different states and making it very challenging on all of their customers who want to give them their money. Uh, what are some of your guys' favorite gimmicks? Do you like gimmicks in comics? Um you know, whether you want to share a favorite or you want to share something that was really, really stupid. Um, tell me about it. Tell us all about it. We'd love to hear it. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Love you, Will. Good question. Mm. Um, that's a good question. Does uh, does Kirkman's nonsense count as a gimmick? 
because he's done like his he's done like three big releases in the la- and and endings in the last few years that were all kind of surprising and and had huge buzz around them because of the non-standard publishing practices. Yeah, so like the Transformers being in Void Rivals, Walking Dead just ending abruptly, Die 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 showing up without anybody having ordered it. I I yeah. would say those all are gimmicks, but that's a good look at the term gimmick because those are more you know, gimmicks and distribution or publication, right? Unless the interior of an issue, but I would certainly, I would, I would put it in there. Yeah. Well, except like void rivals and walking dead are like content based. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. That's trickery. True. And he just managed to also sneak in publisher and distributor trickery. Yeah. As well. Yeah. He does. He does love to do the unorthodox. Apparently what's the, there's, there's a radiant black 25 is, is coming the, out pretty soon. And the A and B covers. No, the A and B covers have different content, I think. Oh, oh, I didn't know about that. And they haven't been clear about how different it is. So if it's like clue endings or something, I don't know that all of our subscribers need two copies. Yeah, I would say in general, I'm pretty fond of gimmicks when it is executed in the way that Nightwing has been doing it, which is like. Mm-hmm. seems totally free of editorial mandate and it seems more like the two of those creators are like wouldn't it be fun if the entire issue was like one long image or like <laughs> if it's all pov like i think that's super super fun because it as a thing like jango and i have talked about um I, I like the creative process being motivated by some type of restriction and so that that yeah. does that um, yeah. I think one of my favorite all-time gimmick issues is the silent issue in New X-Men from Quietly and Morrison when they're like in the Gene and Emma Frost are in Charles Xavier's like psychic landscape. Um, okay. But yeah, I also don't <clears throat> like gimmicks when it feels like it's a line-wide thing that we're doing, you know? Right. But what right. are some gimmicks that have worked for the two of you boys? I mean, silent issues always work on me. Yeah um the the but yeah i guess gimmick wise i don't know will's examples are more along the lines of the kirkman stuff than anything to me yeah um i'm a i'm a sucker for glow in the dark covers yeah you are um one of the ones that really worked for me was um um god i forgot the name of the title now uh uh jeff lemire i think it was it's where the trillium trillium yeah the two storylines start the front and back and converge Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting, that's a, that's a great one. Um, yeah. Gimmicks as a word seems to have connotations associated with it. Um, and when they're, when they seem like just people trying to do something unique with the medium, you know, right. That's, that's oftentimes how I look at it more than perhaps a gimmick yeah. like that Nightwing one. So like the, uh, I mean, it's a favorite gimmick of mine just cause it's, I think it's so, so stupid. The foil covers in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, they're just they're so bad. <clears throat> I kind of like them. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I'm not particularly fond of like, you know, when there'd be a month of every comic being horizontal because I don't really like a horizontal comic Ugh. like flipping it yeah. vertically like that. Um, I'm a little tired of the whole like black, white, and red, but also sometimes that oh. is cool. But like, mm-hmm. you know, we've had like multiple mini series now where you know that's kind of the thing. Trillium is is a great answer, Roman, because that yeah. is almost untrade paperbackable in the way that the story is told yeah i mean it is isn't it i don't know they made a trade paperback of it i don't know how you're supposed to read it yeah, yeah. i do remember checking it out when it came out and i feel like the conclusion i came to was that they didn't they weren't able to do it 
but I, I forget exactly how they try to execute it. What about the TKO thing where they're um, publishing? Well, I don't think they're doing it still, but they were publishing an oversized trade paperback and five oversized issues in a cardboard box that looked good on your shelf at the same time. Yeah. Like all, all that came out in the same day. I never particularly liked that. Scout was doing a similar thing as well. Were they? Yeah. Or like they would do the thing where they release one issue and then they release the paperback of it. Oh, right. Or like the right. tags that you get that we just don't ever order that like yeah. give you a di- you're buying a digital comic with a physical tag to support a store. Or something. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I have to give give support to anybody who's like trying to do interesting new things with a medium that's existed for a long time. I think that's cool when it seems like it's coming from a place of excitement. Would you count the slip cases that they're putting out of one bad day uh, as a gimmick? Buy the first slip case, and then over the next five months, you can buy $18 hardcovers to fill up your box. Yeah, I would definitely consider it a gimmick, but that's a little bit more in terms of like, that's more like sales gimmicks, Yeah, you know, than, yeah. than maybe comics. Um, but yeah, I don't like that one for sure. Yeah. Well, oh, uh, uh, Void, Void, not Void Rivals. Uh, no one with the podcast and the like yeah. the AR stuff that's that they've got cool. going on. I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, fill some space for a second, guys. I want to look up the definition of gimmick. I just like, I just generally like them. I think that, uh, you know, having something totally out of left field or non-standard for comics is fun because as flexible as this medium is, it's pretty uncommon that somebody does something we haven't seen before. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. If it's fun or like, like one of the, I don't know, one of the original gimmicks mad magazine with the mad fold in mm. brilliant fucking gimmick yeah <laughs> yeah and, and i guess by the definition it's a trick or device intended to attract attention publicity or business so pretty broad pretty broad someday we'll have a store that's big enough to have just a shelf of 90s foil covers oh and roman. holograms it's cool to roman's using a new computer and the camera's a little bit nicer and i could i could see his nipples get hard when you said that <laughs> yeah Ding, yeah. ding. I didn't know that Roman had uh, a Hembeck omnibus behind him. Ooh, yep. But, oh, I never uh, did either. Is that new, Roman? No, it's been there for a while. Wow. I got it from the, comic, got it from the comics place. I, hmm. I work there. <laughs> What's that tall orange one behind you, buddy? This one? Yeah. Dark Horse? Milk and cheese. Milk and cheese. Oh, classic uh, Roman. Classic Roman. <laughs> the collected dairy products gone bad. And then what's the uh, the <coughs> white one to the le- to my left of Hembeck? Oh, I've never read this. Superman, the first wave of comic book heroes, nineteen thirty six to nineteen forty one. Huh, interesting. Huh. Oh, it's interesting. all golden. Interesting. And it's not even essays about him. It's just golden age reprints. Wow, wow, Andrew. I don't know. Maybe that's bad audio. Cut it all out. Who knows? I'll leave it up to you. <laughs> There's a couple of good comic books to talk about this week, though. You guys, I my stack was. 10 or so books big and there was not a single one in the stack that i didn't like a lot so i'm excited to get in here and talk about it all with you but i also maybe gave myself some advantages like i only read the tom king portion of the wonder woman issue i read the whole thing and didn't hate it really yeah i don't i can't remember the last time i read all the wonder woman book wait is this is this is this a 
Is this something you guys had advanced advanced copies of? Because I don't have that one. This comic right here that was on our shelf this week. I didn't see that. Hmm. I don't know what did to it tell come you, in, but did it come we had in like Tuesday? four spots for it. Yeah, it oh, came geez. in Tuesday. You put it in a lot of people's files, uh, packaged it up for a lot of people. It got on the stands. Dang. I didn't realize what it was. <laughs> Extra size spectacular. Let's let's kick it off a little bit. That is, since we're here and talking about it, Wonder Woman number 800. This is an oversized issue that is, for the most part, kind of a jam story that is part two, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad. And then it's got a whole bunch of artists that were on it, like Joel Jones, Aletha Martinez, Mark Morales, Nick Robles, Tob Knox, Skylar Patridge, Patridge, Coley Hammer, and Jen Bartell. But the exciting thing for me was that there's like a 12, 12-ish page story in the back that kicks off Tom King's Wonder Woman run that will be having its own number one here uh, before too long and introduces a new character. And I thought that... I liked a lot, but again, I didn't read the main thing. So we'll have to lean on our friend Django when we're not strong. Well, I don't know if you want to lean on me for a Wonder Woman review, but I thought that the <laughs> art in the rest of that thing was was pretty solid throughout. If you have one in front of you, Jeff, and you can find the Todd Knock parts, yeah. he really nailed the um, George Perez hairstyle from, from back in the day. Like, yeah, you are very, like very John correct Byrne, about that. George Perez kind of art look in there. I, I knew exactly the era that we were looking at. I don't in general love Todd Nauck's art because it is so like definitively 90s, but it does work really well here. Like he did, he did that yeah. Star Girl series with and Jeff it worked Johns. really well there too. Yeah, I thought. it did. It did. Like, and that, even looking at it here, it is kind of joyful to look at here. Yeah, it's fun and bombastic. Um, was he doing all those head covers for a long time? I think so. That probably soured me on him unfairly because I hated yeah, those covers because they were terrible. Yeah. 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 Um, Ter- terrible gimmick. Terrible gimmick. Ah, it's a gimmick. Variant covers. That's my favorite gimmick. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, Coley Hamner art actually made me think that it would be really fun to have somebody who's not us cut out like three panels at a time to show us all and quiz us on who the artist is. Yeah. Because um, he's got such a such a distinct style that is yeah. kind of weird. It is kind of weird. And it stands out very clearly. And what I thought was interesting in here was that going through it and trying to find the Jen Bartell art was not incredibly evident to me because it's a pretty different coloring style than her art often has in it. That's her with Superman, right? Yeah. 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 It's it's a different line quality than what I expect from her, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just kind of, a you know, it's a, an anniversary issue. So Wonder Woman is asleep and in some sort of like the wonder woman version of a Thogel trance Ooh. and she's going through her life and meeting up with people and, you know, friends and Batman and Superman. And um, yeah, it was, it was nothing super special, but the art was amazing and it pulled me through. But I think more importantly for both of us, there was some Tom King at the end there. There was some Tom King at the end with some really nice art in it as well. Uh, Nicola Scott, is that right? No. Is it? No. It's Timo Mori. No. Daniel Sampier. I don't think that's who's doing the ongoing art, but maybe it I'll, is. I'll look Timo... it up while you talk about it. Yeah, you do that. I was I was confused because actually who I was just thinking of was the art that is ongoing in Titans is Nicole Scott, I believe. Yeah, I know, that's um, awesome. Yeah, so this starts off Tom King's run. It has starring Wonder Woman's daughter, 
And when we start what when we start the comic, it's like Damien in his Batman 666 costume, like as an adult with John Kent as a full on adult. And they're like waiting on a beach for this Wonder Woman daughter who's, you know, an adult as well. And we don't really know her backstory or anything, but they are going to do this very arduous trial to get some answers that we start hearing a little bit at the end, which is this old man. And he's going to be talking about um, the story of how Wonder Woman defeated this man and kind of the story of her daughter and how she was born and everything defeated the old man that's in there. So um, the voices for the characters are just on point. Like it's just a great Damien. It's a great John Kent. And I really liked this uh, Wonder Woman who's her name is Trinity. Um, And yeah, it kind of reminded me of our first exposures to Wonder Girl, Yara yeah. Floor, where like it was just a well-written character with a nice voice that I was really excited to be reading. Um, and the art's pretty, like it was with Joelle Jones doing her Yara stuff. So, and yeah, again, the Damien and John stuff in it is really, really good. And it was twelve issues, and it could have gone on for sure in my mind. And I'm really, really excited to be reading it when it starts but i actually don't even know when it starts because i don't believe that we've done the focs for the first issue yet i am having a hard time finding it at all oh here we go Uh, it took me that entire time while you were talking to find it uh it's in the july 23 catalog it looks like it comes out in uh september 19th Okay. And it's Tom King and Daniel Sampier. So Okay, cool. So this is the artist. Same creative team. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, this is gorgeous. So that's great. I'm not familiar with this artist, I don't think. No, but but he's doing a real good job in here, I think. Yeah. And I, I really liked the trials that they went through. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Roman, you're really gonna like this. Yeah. Guarantee oh, it. I'm looking forward to it. It's a goddamn Roman comic. It's a goddamn Roman <laughs> comic. Well, Django, my score is only representative of the Tom King portion. Um I don't know that the other portion would raise your score at all. Yeah. But I don't think it would hurt it. If yours is lower, it might be because you read it. Who knows? Yeah. The other stuff was fine. I would, I would give the whole thing an eight. I went 8.5. So second comic we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although nobody else knows that necessarily, depending on how this issue gets edited. Yeah. Hey, Django, I got a question for both of you that while you were talking about gimmicks, that came into my mind when you made that statement about variants. Uh-huh. If there were no variants, what do you think comic sales would look like? Would they be higher or lower baking in the cost that needs to go into acquiring variants and therefore uh, giving you more dead product on the shelf if they don't sell or alternative <laughs> covers? Do alternate covers make us more money? Yes. Well, overall, probably. I think that uh, they definitely make Marvel and DC more money. Yes, I think that's true for sure. And they're very smart. And Boom is very smart. And Boom took a while, but they finally figured out how to do variants. And I think I think there's no doubt in my mind that variants make people more money. I don't know that it would affect our store a ton. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we do have people who get multiple covers of a book and that's i think it all comes down to our skill in deciding what not to order for the store and i think we're pretty good at it so i I don't think it would be a huge difference either way yeah i i I, my conclusion is that it would be not a huge difference i think yeah the money that we make for the occasional people that buy multiple covers is kind of washed out by the cost of acquiring alternate covers that we don't sell and counting 
everything seven times. And, yeah, and if we were just ordering A covers and then maybe incentive covers. And um, if they only put the really good covers on the front of the comic, the A yeah, covers some, might sell better. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Thanks for going on that diatribe with me. Uh, Roman, do you have feelings about that? I guess I, you you focus slightly less on margins and stuff yeah. than we do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll go with Django's answer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that because it was pretty much my answer as well. Um, but I, I would call it. But you were asking him. I agree. Um, okay, boys, let's make sure we talk about a book now that Roman did read. Uh, time before time, number twenty-four. <laughs> That's just an oh, ongoing papcast yeah, joke. I'm, I'm, I'm twenty-three point. issues behind on that. Series. Oh, I did read the first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you like this one? It came out like the same time Cemetery Beach was coming out, and I feel like I read Cemetery Beach instead of it, and for some reason they felt similar to me at the time. I could see that. The Incredible Hulk, number one. Philip Kennedy Johnson, Uh, Nick Klondren, bringing the spooky back to our big green buddy. Roman, what did you think of The Incredible Hulk, number one, as the arbiter of all things green and turgid? Oh, I didn't read it. Oh, I don't believe you. That came out this week. (laughs) I know that you read it and read the afterwards, because I did, because I knew that you would. I read the afterwards before I read the beforewards. Did you really? No, that would be obtuse <laughs> and on brand. That'd be crazy. Um, um, it was all right. I, I, I don't know. I, I after Ewing, I think Ewing like did a great horror Hulk story. So I'm kind of, a series. So I'm kind of like, well, okay. Um, this will be fun in a different way, but uh, just more kind of a uh, old-fashioned horror anthology series in a way, just with the Hulk instead of. The Crypt Keeper. Um, Do you feel like there's an anthology feel to this? Well, anthology is the wrong word, but... Um, like Monster of the had, Week, except yeah. it's the Hulk every time? Yeah, it's kind of... <laughs> yeah. It feels like it's kind of like the the old uh, Hulk TV series, except horror-focused instead of just, you know, wandering around America-focused. Nice. It, it did remind me kind of a lot of... Kind of a lot. Kind of a lot of the first issue of Immortal Hulk in that it introduced a real horrific tone, but Mm -hmm. I would not have been able to see at the first issue of Immortal Hulk at all what that journey was going to be. And this one, yeah, I don't really, I don't have super predictions of how the story is going to be told, but I do like the horror tone of it. And I do like how heavily it's leaning on the Al Ewing stuff and not necessarily the Donny Kate stuff that was just happening. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad it is leaning on that because... I like that better. Um, there was a couple little things in this narrative I just well, like didn't like. Like our main, I forgot her character. Our main character when uh, her, her banner. No, that this it's woman, the, the new character, <laughs> the, the new character that when this girl is uh, working on the car with her, I don't know if it's her brother or her friend or whatever. And the dad comes out and yells at him, and she takes off, and we never know where'd her friend go. Um, so there's the little little details like that bug me, and I don't like Bruce Banner with long hair. <laughs> I I could see that it is that's kind of a modern thing it feels like yeah um, yeah especially because we don't know how long it's been since the last issue and all of a sudden whole both him and Hulk have long hair and so apparently it's been months and months yeah and it it uh, emphasizes a different part of the, his character than him being a brilliant scientist I feel like yeah it's like like it's so easier to forget that he's a brilliant scientist it's just yeah. so weird like at this point after having spent like the last 15 years of comic books wandering around the Midwest, you'd think people would start recognizing him. Like he's not as anonymous as he yeah. thinks. He's got to go to fucking Europe or something to escape recognition now. Yeah. I like some of the issues <clears throat> might've been 
Romita Jr. that drew them where Bruce, when he was on the road, would like shave his head because mm. that that I think that's a better disguise than having long hair. Easier to draw, too. Yeah. And, yeah. and my <laughs> feeling on that scene with the girl is like there is a kind of confusing jump that happened like after the dad came out because then her nose is bleeding. So I feel like he started beating her and maybe like the friend took off or something. Definitely not her brother. Um, oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Her. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. That's just her again. Yeah, I don't know who that guy is. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, there were some kind of confusing things. I did really like the art, though. Nick Klein, who was doing Thor with Donny Cates, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I um, really liked the horror stuff in the Egyptian tomb. Yeah. Like her, her head turning all the way around. That's a hard thing to show in one panel. And he pulled that off at the like at the bottom of the third page. Yeah. And then the way that the monster comes out of her body is so horrific and gross like yeah it's very different art than the al ewing series but it's Similarly it's, it's almost like it's almost more visceral and shocking to me like that other art was really great but it was it was a little bit slick and i never forgot it i was, was looking at a comic this kind of draws yeah. me in a little more for the body the Bennett stuff had kind of like almost a brian hitch vibe or something so i i agree yeah. I, I actually didn't notice that head spinning thing until you brought it up Django. that's a good catch that and is did you notice disturbing. her 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 face hanging off of the face of the monster when she, when he transforms. Yeah, I like, did. So that was good. Um, Some preacher shit. I yeah. really like. So I like that it's mostly focused on following up on the Al Ewing stuff. But that Donny Kate mm -hmm. thing did just happen, where Bruce had kind of fractured his psyche, and they were living in the body of the Hulk, and he was torturing the oh. Hulk. Oh, when you fracture your psyche, your hair grows real fast, Roman. Oh, that's what oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, but I really like, I don't even know how, because I know Donny Kate stopped writing it and then Otley wrote some and I think somebody else did some. I don't know what ended. I didn't read after Kate's left and Otley was writing and stuff. But if the Hulk had kind of broken out of whatever trap, I do like the dichotomy that this is setting up of like the Hulk wanting to torture Bruce Banner, like not just yeah. be this monster that is like going to be ex exuding its own will on other things. Like it seems like he's attempting to, you know, torture and get revenge on Bruce Banner for what he did to him. And so those like the scenes of like that he wakes up and the dog is dead and <clears> like <throat> the building has like your fault painted all over it. It's like the Hulk was painting these messages for Banner and shit. Like I like how menacing uh, and malicious he's being to Banner. That's a, that's kind of a new thing for me. I'm sure it, it's brought up in Hulk other, other times, but um, my Hulk history is kind of limited. So Seems like their relationship is really on the rocks these days, boys. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's pretty classic, having having them hate each other again. I'm just glad that uh, we might finally find out what's behind the green door. It's like the Hawkeye Bendis closet thing with Spider-Woman. That's famous seed he planted that I think yeah. always references that he never looped back on. Yeah. Something's got to be behind that green door, Django. Behind the green door. Well, I'm excited to hear Roman's thoughts on it because it was a little less excited than I would have anticipated he was. I guess I guess I I'm, thought it I'm, checked a lot of boxes in my Roman brain of like horrific. It's Hulk. Yeah, and I think it does. I think I, I think I'm a little reticent just because I loved Al Ewing's mm -hmm. series run so much. Um, so this one has has big shoes to fill in my eyes. But I like this cult. I like this new um I like the nods to some of the classic Marvel stuff, like the, you know, you get a panel with the Moloids and man. Thing. Yeah, I love the Moloid shot. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's hand. a Ghost Rider reference or what, that hand coming out of the earth with the yeah. motorcycle behind it. It's pronounced um, Earth. Earth. Alfred. 
I mean, I'm definitely going to keep reading it and not, and it's definitely going to be a more fun read than trying to figure out exactly some of the issues of uh, Immortal Spaceship Hulk. Oh, yeah. What the fuck, man? (laughs) Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that thing reach the ending that was probably conceived at the beginning for it, Um, but who knows? Yeah. And this is a good, and Ewing's run, the artist did this too, but his transformations into the Hulk, and this one's horrifying too, but in a different, horrifying way than yeah than, uh what's his name did it um the way yes. his teeth get bigger hurt yeah <laughs> yeah the teeth grow and deform first Ugh. yeah and the way he like cracks his arm like as he wakes up and stuff like he wakes up makes this dead dog and his shoulders all fucked up and he cracks it back into place and stuff poor guy poor guy uh, what was your score for it roman um i'm gonna give it an eight nice i'm gonna go 8.5 I went eight point five also. Nice. And uh, just just because we have it, our uh, shop shop guy Nick went nine. Nice. Oh, wow. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, that begs mentioning, Roman. Have you are you hip to the fact that Al Ewing is doing an Immortal Thor series? I'd read that somewhere. Yeah. And I read an interview with him, and he was just like, "Yeah, you know, Immortal Hulk was this ride, and it like." became way bigger than we thought it would and it was huge and i'm so lucky for that but he's like i but there are things that i wish had happened differently for the ending of it all Mm -hmm. um and so he's like there are some things that i felt like didn't go exactly like i wanted and so he was like i'm not just using this title of immortal loosely he's like i want this to be as good and as perfect as that one but i want it to be even better and not have the shortcomings of the ending so Uh he was like assuring people like i'm not doing this loosely like this is i'm trying to do for thor what i did for hulk so that made me very, very excited. I'm excited for that Immortal Thor series. Yeah, yeah, I do. That and that reminds me. There's, I do wonder in this new Hulk series if, because uh, they said something about the green door being shut now, and yeah, yeah, and, what's behind the green door? And, something, and, and, something, Django. It's, it's Marilyn Chambers. Certainly um, not a metaphor. <laughs> Thank and, you, Roman. Googling, <laughs> trying to get us there. Yeah, I knew Googling, you were trying to <laughs> Googling Marilyn Chambers. <laughs> um. Maybe it was in the write-up and back, but I was wondering, oh, so does this mean that the uh, gamma-irradiated characters are no longer resurrecting if they get killed? Oh, that's a good call, Roman. Okay, so apparently for listeners at home, um, in 1972, a movie called Behind the Green Door came out. Plot, a beautiful woman is abducted and initiated in a live sex act on a private stage, participating in lesbianism, interracial sex, and public orgy. Wish I had read that description before reading it online. <laughs> um, and it stars a girl named Marilyn Chambers. So, um, cool. They just start, they started they just... out as a, as a ivory soap commercial girl. Oh, hmm. very clean. I believe it was yeah. Irish Springs. No, it wasn't. I, I'm just trying to be I'm just trying to be pedantic. <laughs> Django, do you want to take us somewhere? Do Listen, you if you put drive? me in the driver's seat, it's gonna be time before time or Titans sure. number two. I well, okay. It's gotta be Titans number two because <laughs> right, as far as I knew, you Titans weren't reading two. this book. Yeah, I'm reading it. It's a Tom Taylor book the, and it's a team book. I'm allowed to read the first, the first two or four issues of a Tom Did Taylor. Did you read book. the first issue of it? Fuck yeah, I love the art. The Flash <laughs> is dead. You got a mystery huh. to solve. I, I, I. The art's awesome. I'm sorry. I thought this totally fell under your like. I'm not reading team books, huh? I thought I teased you for not reading this, but I teen books. This is just Titans. It's not Teen Titans. Oh, okay. Ah. That's what it is. Okay, that's what it is. Well, sweet. Yeah, you read Titans. Let's talk about this. Listen, I just happen to not read teen books. Yeah, I know. But it's I mean, not like, like a whole ban on it or anything. 
Right. But like, and you know, Avengers yeah. came out that same week and you didn't read Avengers, right? Cause no, it's, it's a teen book. book. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sorry. And it's also got teens in it and I'm not into yeah. that. Yeah. No, thank you. Well, cool. Talk to me about Titans, dude. It's the best art on the stands. As far as I'm concerned, it's got like, it's got real kind of, uh, uh, Adam Hughes, uh, Kevin McGuire vibes to me in the way that the art's laid out and and colored um i like that we get like a a flashback to the early days of the teen titans uh Mm -hmm. failing to stop a cult because the justice league stops them instead and then we we get to flash forward to the present and and start solving the mystery of why the flash is dead and uh good good little twist there A, a really good sort of uh save the day from a forest fire scene yeah. where they really set up everybody's powers pretty well and gives, I like that we get a lot of time of them just hanging out in Titans tower, just kind of being and, and like being tired from saving the day and stuff. Yeah. That's uh, what I want out of a book like this. And the, the surprise twist at the end that one of their former teammates has, has joined the cult that they used to think might be their arch nemesis. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and also first... I don't know anything about the fucking Titans, so Roman's probably going to tell me all this extra <laughs> history about it. But in the first issue, uh, Dick tries to to recruit Tempest, and he's like, "No, I'm working with somebody else." And Roman was like, "Last time he was like, we're going to find out who it is soon," mm-hmm. and uh, we found out right here. I'm interested that you like the art as much as you do. I don't dislike the art, but um, I wouldn't have thought that you would say top top art on the stands. I like it a whole lot. That's awesome, dude. I yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's something uh, about like the the way the lips are colored and the the faces <laughs> are mostly left to the colorist who is just fucking killing it. Yeah, the coloring I like a lot, a lot. I mean, yeah, I like all of it. And that quack. Okay. Annette wow, quack. never heard of them. One of the things I like about uh, uh, Scott's artwork um, is that uh, the, speaking of lips, I like the fact that she draws men's lips because I don't traditionally in comics artists wouldn't draw they'd only draw lips on women. Huh. <laughs> and and men would just have like the you know a mouth hole <laughs> and she draws good li- i mean the last panel of aqualad i mean jeez what a what a what a beefcake <laughs> yeah no i mean the art is the art is fantastic the art is fantastic yeah and i and i enjoyed this issue a lot too i like them hanging out in the tower just being exhausted and the fact that that beast boy is you know sacked out on the couch and, and raven's comforting him because he had such a traumatic experience with all the animals being killed mm-hmm. in the forest fire and all that. And I love the end, how um, what used to be the cult of brother blood, the cult of blood, they've renamed themselves something, but I love the, all the, the former brother blood, the way he's talking on this interview show and, and rebranding their cult as not yeah. a cult. <laughs> that was very cleverly done and very well done. I mean, I mean, this is totally the kind of thing you would say oh yeah this is the way they would do it nowadays i love also that with the end of the first issue like wally is dead and he had traveled through time to be there i like that right off the bat here wally shows up while dead wally is there because it's a future wally that came back in time to have them solve the mystery before he would die um but i like that we just we have the whole titans team and we don't we're not dealing with a dead person as a current active member right off the bat yeah yeah it almost feels like Tom Taylor thumbing his nose at Tom King and Heroes in Crisis, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you got a dead flash and then a Those live Toms. flash and time travel. And like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't piss everybody off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I'm curious what your scores are, boys. I'm going to give it the Ocho. Roman? Uh, I'm going to give it a nine. I'm going to Ocho out with you, Django. Ocho. Och- I'm going to Ocho. I'm it. feeling a little Ochi. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give it a Nocho. Oh. <laughs> that was something <laughs> special right there, Roman. Hey, are you guys reading Superman? Yeah. Roman, you're also reading Superman? Am I? I'm, I'm digging through my stack here to see if... I read Adventures of Superman. Is that it? No, Superman this week had... Uh, I read Steelworks. It was that was two what weeks the ago. Fuck, Roman. Um, oh. super, Superman this week had <laughs> dealt mostly with Jimmy Olsen's relationship with the uh, screaming banshee. Oh, Silver, Silver banshee. banshee. Yeah, <laughs> Silver Banshee, and we kind of learned about them meeting, and then she showed up at the end of the previous issue, and this organization has been tricking Superman villains into attacking people. Um, what I really liked about this issue is the very sweet relationship between Jimmy Olsen and Silver Banshee. And yeah, it was good how like well done it was and i've been watching a lot of sex in the city lately and it felt a little bit like a genuine relationship like superman's gonna go save her and he's like you know you get you you shouldn't come he's like listen pal you know <laughs> you're gonna take me because like she'll listen to me and i'm gonna come he's like yeah you're right like just great relationship between jimmy and superman on display great to see jimmy in a relationship and i'm really warming to this whole Lex Luthor Superman relationship thing that they're doing with Lex in his ear. Yeah. Yeah. The the man in the seat, the man at the computer, the man at the, the, the man in the van, but, but the van gets, is a prison and the man is a dick. And that dick got shanked at the end of this. Yeah. He got like prison stabbed <gasps> to death. It looks like. Oh, no. So Roman, you didn't read this. You know, I, I remember I, there was, I had, because I was two weeks behind because I missed my DC books last week. Yeah. Um, I flipped through it a little bit on the stands just for the Jimmy and Silver Banshees okay. parts. So I didn't see the rest. I didn't know about Lex because I didn't get to that page. Well, I, I really like this series. And Django, I would say what you said of this book has some of my absolute favorite art for comics on the stands currently. I was going to say it feels a lot like the Nicholas Scott art to me. Um, just the heavy outside lines and the colorist doing a lot of work colorist doing a lot of work character's face and both of them have a touch of adam hughes in a different in Mm -hmm. a kind of unique way but they both have a quality that i would say is adam hughesian oh and and jamal campbell is doing the coloring as well yeah if i had a criticism about the coloring on this it would be the same criticism that i had like in the early issues as well it's too fucking dark yeah like it's way too dark for me it yeah, I think he's been doing his own coloring for a lot of his work. And I I think that never occurred to me while reading this, but it I think that's a valid statement. And I think it's probably been true of his art for a long time. Like in Naomi, I also think it was like similarly dark. It it kind of makes me wonder, like, is it being colored for digital viewing? Hmm. Because hmm. like if this was backlit, it would mm-hmm. be a lot easier. And those parasite issues were also too dark kind of like like end of game of thrones almost pitch black you know (laughs) like if if you have a shitty tv like i do dark episodes of tv are not fun to watch well you've also got a heck of a glare from the window that's right behind your tv i Um, almost only watch tv at night actually because of that (laughs) when i had covid and was living at your house while you had covid in another state i was just yeah. i spent like three days watching television all day and i was like you gotta watch tv at night in this joint this yeah is a, this is a night television joint right here close, close the drapes and and put on the oh there's drapes didn't even think about that 
Everybody saw what you watched. Body. No wonder my neighbors don't talk to me. Hey, okay, so there's two characters in here, and they've been present through the series. Yeah. Uh, Farm and Graft. Yeah. Is the main one a trans character? I kind <laughs> of think so. I can't character? remember, like, I but can't I can't tell I can't, what's going on. I but I I remember at some point in the last like couple of months hearing within comics. Somebody who I think had a kind of a good point, but also was well regarded and being able to stress a point like this. But they were sort of saying that, like, yeah, we're putting a lot of like, you know, gay and non-binary or trans characters in comics. But like, we're not making them villains yet. We're like, we're not making them equals. We're just making them heroes. And if we want them to be equally represented in these comics, they need to be willing to be villains as well or, you know, bad characters. But you can't start there. But I that that interview has come to my head every time I've been reading this comic. Um, okay. Cause I think, because I think you're right. I think this character maybe is, um, but I think it's fantastic because they are very menacing and yeah. androgynous. And I think they're doing exactly what that interview for, I don't even remember who it was, but um, it was, I think it's a really good point. Yeah. I think they were, you know, championing that idea. And I think this book is doing that really well, if that's in fact accurate. But, but like you couldn't, start with queer characters being uh no, bad that would guys. be a step backwards like, yeah yeah like so they we're finally putting gays in here but they're all bad but they're all bad yeah yeah so my biggest problem is that i really don't like their character design or their face shape i it's like long joker chin yeah shirtless like bare chested and then long gloves like i i want it to be more something I really like it because it's very uncanny valley in a lot of ways. Like it's very yeah. masculine and very feminine and kind of Joker demonic and scientific. Like it's very, it's all of these things that like puts it in a spot that is kind of uncategorizable for me. I also don't like the names. Yeah. Pharma, pharma and graft. Yeah. It's like pharma. Is this a reference to like big pharma or graft like grafting things or they using medicine to like make composite composite bodies or something yeah i think i think there's you know i'll say though josh williamson five issues in still reading it great art and i'm liking the story a lot and i'm liking it more with each issue which is pretty awesome joshua williamson so way to go Django. what'd you give it hmm I give it an eight. It, like I'm I give go it 8. probably 5. an eight. I would go eight point five. But look at the last page of Luther all curled up. It's pretty dark in the fucking dark. Yeah, you can't that's, see it. That was the page that stood out as I just whipped, flipped through it while you were talking about it. I I can see it, but yeah, it's pretty dark. It's quite dark. My it's, name's Jeff. I have good eyes. It's it is it is it's clearly a stylistic thing. You know, yeah. like, and I, 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 I totally agree. I could see totally that being like, no, nope, that's too dark for me in the way that like Simone DeMeo is always too close up for me. You know, right. like it's, it's, right. a, it's a stylistic yeah. similar. Thing. That, that's interesting. That's, that's a similar problem. Mm-hmm. Did you guys read time before time 24? No, tell me about it. What happened in that? <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to spoil Is he still getting out? Dude, the guy's not even in it. He's not even in it. He's totally out. Man, we're 24 issues into this time travel story. And this is basically a one shot that has has some characters from other stories, but you don't need to know anything about their their history or their future. Well, just like, hey, J- J- Django, slip slip a boy an issue like that. I, this this is that issue, and it tells us the slip a consequences of trying to change time. We're 24 issues in, and we haven't learned the consequences of changing time, and it's been thrilling the whole time. 
I just saw a flash movie about so, that. Yeah. But this is, that's a different, it's different. It's, different it's not time. that it, this is, this is a different way of handling time travel consequences than I think I've ever, I must've seen something like this. Django time travel is one of my favorite gimmicks. One of my favorite plot. 24 issues in Jeff. One of my favorite types of story is a time travel story. And I don't know why you've never told me about this series in the past because I love a time travel story. I think, uh, I think if you can find any of the back issues or even this one, like if someone were to bring it to your house or something, you might actually like them. Yeah. Yeah. The paperback. I would read the first paperback. Yeah. And that might even hook you. Jane, let me guess. You gave it an eight. I give it a nine, bitch. Ooh, stinky. (laughs) Stinky. All right, guys. We've been putting it off. Roman's back from whatever he just did. Arcade Um, Kings number two. Let's do this. uh, We've danced around it, but here we are. Ultimate Invasion number one by Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch. Let's it's get... pronounced Ultimate Invasion. What'd you guys, you guys probably read this. What'd you think about it? Jonathan Hickman. Hitch. Do you really? No. Okay. I was going to say, I don't, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> it's, it, this is some decent Brian Hitch. This is, I've been offended is, by him before and this didn't do that. I, I totally agree with you. I absolutely agree. It is better <laughs> Brian Hitch than the cover art. Um, it's better Brian Hitch than we've gotten in a long time. It is still Brian Hitch. The conceit I will make for this book. Sorry, Roman, what were you say? But it was the ultimate Brian Hitch comic this week. It was it's true. Uh, Brian Hitch did the art in the Ultimates one and two, which kind of mm. after Spider-Man, uh, was what jump started the cinematic universe. It's what everything kind of based itself on. It was the central building block of the ultimate universe. I don't ever get excited about seeing his art on a book. In fact, it'll sometimes decrease my excitement. But because of the nature of this book, and because I do genuinely really like Ultimates 1 and 2 uh, by Miller and Hitch, I I am totally fine with Hitch being the artist on this book because it is you know symbolically connected to the beginning of the Ultimate Universe. So I can, that, I can be okay with it. I had totally forgotten that he did those early issues. Mm. And it, honestly, he used to be a draw for me. Yeah, like I, I really liked him at that point. Um, he did, didn't he do Wanted? I think, and I really liked his art in Wanted. J- like JG Jones. Oh, that was JG Jones. Yeah, there was there was some Mark Mark Miller book that he did yeah. the art yeah. in, and, and and I was like, this is pretty rad and suit like yeah. super kinetic. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm glad to see him kind of doing something that I'm enjoying because you know I don't so want you to enjoy like an this. artist. Yeah, I did. I did it. I I think so. So for new listeners who are just here for the comedy and don't know anything at all about comics for the last 20 years. Those are our favorite uh, listeners. Marvel started the ultimate universe. What in like 2000, 2000, 1999, somewhere in there. It's 2000. Is that when it was? I think ish. I think that was like the bankruptcy. I think ultimate, I think ultimate Spider-Man is around 2000. Sprung out of that. And, um, it was like a, an alternate universe that was consistent, which is a new concept for comics, I think. Like DC had always had Elseworlds for a long time, but those were usually one shots or like four or five comics. We never really got to live and in the, an Elseworlds world. And the intention was sort of like all of these Marvel characters were created 40 years ago. What if they were created today in modern times? What if Spidey had, uh, well, at the time, not a cell phone, but the equivalent of a cell yeah. phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was really cool. And then they, right when I started working at the shop, they destroyed the ultimate universe with secret wars. Right. 
mm-hmm. Jonathan Hickman destroyed mm-hmm. the Ultimate Universe and zippered in, I think, a grand total of two characters into the main Marvel yeah. Universe. Yeah, just two. Like Miles and, was it Miles and? Ultimate Reed Richards. Ultimate Reed Richards. And so this is bringing us to a new Ultimate Universe. It's not going to be the old Ultimate Universe is what I've read online. Like this is, we're not going back to the Universe 468 or whatever, whatever number that was designated. But I didn't know that. That's cool to me because if you can kind of redo the idea of the Ultimate Universe and piggyback off of what it did, but essentially redo it and like here's a new modern you know like the ultimates if spider-man was created in 2023 here's how it would look like that that's cool i didn't realize that's exactly but that makes the epilogue of this make more sense too yeah and one of the things that i liked about the the concept of the ultimate universe is that to me back in the day i i don't know if they explicitly said this or if it was just kind of part of the books but it felt like they had really tight continuity Mm mm-hmm they did, yeah, for sure. And like tight continuity in the same way that Valiant did when they were first putting out books, which was like if a character was in New York at twelve thirty three or twelve twelve thirty on Tuesday, the ninth of August, um, and a something exploded in their book, it would also explode in someone else's book, and they would notice it. Yeah. And I think for a long time, the Ultimate Universe was able to pull that off. And mm-hmm. I really, I'm not a big fan of continuity the way that we see it now, because it's bullshit and impossible to keep knit together. But when you've got something that's six titles, um, I, I, I hope that if they do that, if, if they give us a new Ultimate Universe, that we get at least a few months of things tying in like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't Maybe I just haven't been paying attention, but yeah, I'm not actually at all familiar with what the direction, intention, and end result of this series is going to be. We'll so, find out in November, right? Yeah, yeah. Roman, <laughs> uh, did did you read this? What 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 did you think? What did you think? I did, and, and I even thought of Django in the beginning because I was like, Django's kind of like this. It's a, it starts off with a heist caper, except they're heisting the mastermind of the caper. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a great um, setup. So you're saying you liked yeah. it also? Yeah, I liked it. I, oh, I, I just like, love when other people like Hickman books. <laughs> I, I like how, yeah, I like his uh, the maker's plan here, and and I and you see it coming, but unfortunately, his henchmen don't. The, <laughs> yeah. the clever way he like genetically morphs them all into being a duplicate of himself long enough for him to escape. That was great. Uh, so, um, for our listeners, if you didn't read this, basically, Ultimate Reed Richards. Uh, who is very, very evil. Django, you've read more of that than I have. I've never actually read any Ultimate Fantastic Four. Um, but that character starts off as a hero, right? And then becomes evil. I thought you read like the Ellis stuff or something, but... Dude, I read it fucking 20 years ago. Yeah. I, I so, remember zero of it. You've met, I just, just remember liking it. You've you've mentioned passively over our eight years yeah. together, tiny bits at times. Um, I, I definitely liked it. And... And I'm not sure how evil he became in that series or not, but when um, Hickman, kind of as I was first reading Hickman when he was writing The Ultimates in like 2010, uh, Ultimate Reducers was a prominent part of it, very evil. So not sure exactly how he got to that point, but since Hickman has been writing him, he's been this Doctor Doom-esque character who's super brilliant and very evil, but evil in the way that like a very analytical, brilliant person is. Um and he's been imprisoned and he orchestrates an escape for himself. And then after he gets out and people realize that he's out, the Illuminati, 
uh, we, you know, he goes to Wakanda and steals a bunch of vibranium. He goes to Arctalan and steals a bunch of inhuman generators. He steals the bridge for, uh, you know, from Reed Richards. He steals Krakow and Seed Gates, Atlantean shield generators, all these different things. He's making things. a gumbo. He's making a real good gumbo. And he's got the onions, he's got the peppers, and he's got the celery. He's Pronounced making onions. A, a good onion gumbo. Um, and he ultimately dips out at the end of the issue when the Illuminati uh, shows up and tries to fight him, dips and ultimately. Uh, ultimately dips. Wow. God, I wish any of the things I said that were clever were intentional and any of the things that meant to be clever <laughs> actually were. Um, but he dips out and the Illuminati is like, fuck, what's he doing? And we get taken to essentially what from kind of what Django was saying makes sense to me now is like restarting the ultimate universe. It's 6160. And so 616 and we basically get Ultimate Reed Richards taken to the point where a new Ultimate Universe Peter Parker would be bitten by a spider to become Spider-Man. But he Reed smacks the spider and says something about power and responsibility. And uh, he's basically now going to be governing and, and guiding an entire Marvel Universe himself. Or we don't really know. And, the, and our boys are going to be looking for him. But I guess what I really like about it is that Jonathan Hickman wrote it. <clears throat> Uh, so it's got all the trappings of that, including gorgeous graphic design in the in the like title pages and super pretentious dialogue from intelligent people, and uh, you know the feeling that I am very dumb, which I love. Yeah, it's just all of the things I love about Hickman in an or in a Marvel book, and we haven't gotten a big one like this since House of X, Powers of Ten, and then he's also going to be doing that god's story that other giant marvel event here soon can i can i say a couple things here Django, please buddy the marvel the ultimate marvel universe so the marvel universe is 616 the ultimate marvel universe is 1610 okay this ultimate universe is 6160 yeah okay powers of 10 anyone 6160 and then when we're looking at the damage control prison map Mm-hmm. It's a prisoner manifest for 1610 and the prisoner cell is for 1610 and the maker 1610. Is that saying that he's from 1610 or do you think that that's maybe saying that he's he's been designated this number and then when he creates a new ultimate universe he designates it 1611 uh, sorry 6160. Did you say that the original ultimate universe was 161? 1610. 1610. So it seems to me like damage control and other people were designating him 1610 as a way of kind of like putting the moniker of he was from this place. He's as being as... he's being designated. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. And I got creates... I got my sixes and my ones confused. I'm sorry. Easy to do because all of this, and I didn't even know what the ultimate universe's number was. But then my thought is like 6160 is the one he goes to now. And that's like kind of basically using zero in place of the idea of one representing prime or something like Earth mm-hmm. one or something. So it's six, one, six, zero, like the, you know, this, the ultimate moniker of this one now, but right. we're not even going to do the one, six, one thing that they did with the ultimates. Cause why not? Yeah. yeah cause in, cause in his, in the maker's ultimate universe, six, one, six, zero. I mean, by preventing Peter Parker from getting bit by the spider, that's also gonna, I imagine, gonna prevent Miles Morales from becoming Spider-Man in that universe. Yeah. What was Miles's? How did Miles get the powers? I don't even know that. Um, Peter make was, out with was, him or something? No, it was tied into his uncle. 
the the, God, I don't rem- the I don't movie has- the movie did it differently than the comics. Yeah. Um. That's a great fucking question, Django. It's been retconned and represented differently, and I forget what actually originally happened. Yeah, hmm. I, my my faulty memory about it is, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but I think he met Peter Parker after Peter Parker, yeah, then Spider Man. He found out he was Spider Man somewhere in there. He also got spider powers, and then the ultimate Peter Parker was killed. And Miles not so ultimate Spider-Man. now, are you, Peter? He's ultimate at being the dead Spider-Man. Yeah, it's interesting looking <laughs> it up. Like you get the across the Spider-Verse or into the Spider-Verse, like a story explanation for it. And uh, sorry, I'm 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 almost there. I'll tell us. That's I was, yeah. I thought it was clever in this issue how the makers. You don't know if it's if he's actually having a moment of compassion or if he's just wants to use Miles because he invites Miles to come back to their original universe with him. Right. And you don't know what is he's up to there. Could yeah. it just be doing it out of the kindness of his heart? Okay, so it is that his uncle, the Prowler, uh, stole a formula that had Peter Parker's blood in it. And uh, she steals the formula. And in the process, one of the spiders created by Marcus, who was doing that research, crawls into the Prowler's duffel bag. Days later, is bitten. Miles is bitten by the spider during a visit to Aaron, his uncle, the Prowler's apartment. Okay. Um, and then Morales develops superhuman powers. So yeah, cool. uh, basically a spider that was being experimented on with Peter's blood escaped okay. and then bit Miles. Okay. Pretty fucking That was convenient. the original comics one. Well, I like that. I like that because in that one, so Peter Parker's bit a spider and gave <laughs> gave it yeah. Transferred his powers. Yeah. <laughs> um I'm curious what you guys gave this issue. Um what's a, what's an ultimate number pun that we can do? It's ten, Roman. That's the ultimate yeah. number. Yeah. It is? <laughs> I mean or powers of 10 or ultimate 10. It's, it's, yeah. It's the ultimate high number for us. So I'm going to have to give it a z- z- <laughs> I'm gonna give it an eight and a half. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to go nine. Uh, a few things get me as excited as the first issue of a Hickman Marvel event. Yeah. I wish I wasn't excited for it. Cause it, I, I want to not trust this motherfucker. <laughs> Hickman. Yeah. He's got that upcoming series, Gods, G.O.D.S. Oh, it's like Sword. Exactly. It's stand for oh boy. But he's going to um, be like redefining all of the cosmic god, cosmic extensions of the Marvel Universe. Oh, Al Ewing better hurry up with his immortal Thor. Yeah, who knows? I just want to see Ultimate Werewolf by Night. Oh, um, wow. I'm going to give it an 8160. Nice. I like that. Um, um, yeah. Gods, Galactus. Yeah. Odin. Odin. I'm stuck now. Galactus Odin. The last one is Sauron. <laughs> You'd think um, there'd be a Thanos if there was going to be that, what they were doing for. Maybe it's pronounced Gots. D. D- well, it, could, it could be D- Donar, which is the, what, the Finnish god of thunder, but that's it's not a lamb dish, tomorrow. Roman. It is a lamb <laughs> dish, and it's a hell of a lamb dish. Don't get us wrong, but it is definitely based around veal. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, anyway. The I destroyer. Th- oh. Sure. Not a god. Why and not? Sinestro. I, I think that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Nightwing. Rome, Django, did you read this issue? No, I don't read Don Taylor books. Okay. <laughs> Roman, you read Nightwing, right? I read Flash 800, but I missed Wonder Woman 800. Um, anyway, yeah, I did read Nightwing. <laughs> so this was the entire first person issue. Django, you got to read issues like this. It really appealed to me, and I didn't read it. Also, and also, I'm reading it in trade. So, like, yeah, get off also, my job. Yeah, I was gonna say. Also, okay. Jeff, fuck off. I, you own a comic I, shop. Who are you to tell me what I need to read? 
I've kind of made my peace with the fact that I'm going to read Nightwing and trade at this point. I just love gimmick issues like this, you know, um, gimmick gimmick i want to yeah i wanted to ask you guys what you thought of the gimmick of this issue if it worked for you it worked very well for me um but so this issue for anyone who doesn't know was told entirely in the first person's perspective of nightwing what really helped that is there were many many panels where he was looking or talking to somebody and there would be a reflective surface somewhere so you could see him you could see his body language change but he was still being first person I loved that. I think if that weren't there, maybe it could have suffered a little bit, but I don't know. That's a gimmick that I haven't experienced before. I really liked it from the first page of him waking up in bed with Barbara and the dog attacking him to like through all of it, the double page spread. That's like several pages in where it's just Django. I'm not sure if you've seen this page yet, but you need to see it. It's just this one of the most beautiful comic pages I've ever seen of Barbara and Dick jumping out of a window oh, in yeah, the first really you can cool. see them like reflected down in the corner yep. it's just like it, you feel like you're flying with these characters and Man. it's it's i think if it were in the hands of an artist who is not bruno redondo who has become one of my favorite working comic artists yeah i think it could definitely suffer but the gimmick really worked for me roman what what about you it was it was really well done i mean this is i mean this has got to be the best the best well done the most well done um that this particular gimmick has been done in comics i um, i've not i don't know that i've encountered it before yeah and i don't know if, if i imagine it's been done before but i don't know i can't think of any examples um so maybe this is the first time um it was really well done i didn't particularly like it but i recognized it was really well done um but i i kind of don't like that particular gimmick in any media like what was that movie um hardcore harry hardcore henry um yeah i don't even know if i finished that movie because after like i don't know half an hour it's like okay this is played out now <laughs> made me seasick yeah movies i could see yeah. that being a, yeah. a hang-up um you said you wouldn't Do like you... it if like what so what is it about this type of thing that doesn't work for you and why did it work here um i guess my initial reaction to it is that you know, I'm reading this because one of the things I want to see is Nightwing. I don't want to see from his perspective. I want to okay. see him among his butt. You know, the rest of the cast. Yeah, his butt. There's a shot in the Titans there where I realized Nicole Scott, you can see his belly button through his costume. That's how tight his costume. I realized, wow, she like, did she just draw Nightwing naked and just color his costume onto him? Which is what we've been doing to female characters <laughs> since yeah. the dawn of comics. Yeah. Since the dawn of belly buttons. And, and this has a, and in this issue, Nightwing, I mean, it's got a great story, a clever story characterization and everything so i was kind of that pulled me through it like there's a double page spread of the uh what is it the train exploding when it yeah. gets hit by a missile um and i pretty much just flashed past those pages because like oh wow what a mess i don't well, care things like django like him swinging into the glass reflective surface of That's a building really cool. so you just see it from yeah. between his legs but then you are seeing nightwing so that's yeah. two splash pages that you just showed me. Is so it Django, a lot the, of splashes? The entire issue doesn't have a single ad in it, and they put all of the ads at the back. So it's mm -hmm. it, which is I love when that happens. JH Williams wow. the third can pull that often. Uh, there are not an insane number of splash pages, but I think because of the gimmick of this issue, they let it all be. Um, Roman, I'm not sure yeah. if you noticed, but the when he does swing into the building, he is swinging into the office, and you can see mm -hmm. the entire cast of the office in here. 
Jim, oh, Pam, Dwight, Mindy. Oh, Mindy, see, I uh, like Maya Rudolph. Not yeah, Maya Rudolph, but I didn't uh, realize that was the actual castle. Like, yeah, all of there's, it. Like, there's what's his name reading the paper. Yeah, ignoring everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it's you know he gets stuck in the elevator with the girl that is amazing that Jim was dating in season three and four. And oh, uh, I can't remember her name, but played anyway, by um, Angie daughter Trebekah. of who? Uh, she played Angie Tribeca after this series. Huh? I don't know. She's Angie the, Tribeca, not my favorite. Daughter of some. She's one of my favorite actors. Why am I blanking on this? She plays Anne in Parks and Recreation. Right, right. And after Parks and Rec, she did Angie Tribeca. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. That's funny. I didn't. Re- I didn't Rashida recognize Jones. any of Rashida yeah. Jones. Thank yes. You. Yeah. I didn't never recognize... even saw. It. Oh, yeah. Also in the elevator, there's um. Oh, what's his name? Ryan is in there, and Ryan I forget and... the name of the dude who works in the distribution center down there. But yeah, yeah. Craig Robinson he's, is the Craig actor. Robinson. Yeah. That's funny. I didn't recognize any of them, but that sequence was really well done. I love it's well done. But those yeah, three I, panels in the elevator. I love that kind of thing. I love like yeah. when they hide. Yeah, a scene like yeah. That's funny. I guess I don't. Other than in video games, and I'm not a video game player. I only like it in video games because then you're you know you're supposed to be the the first person. Shooter. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I see that. In other media, I'm like, eh, yeah, whatever. I think I would get tired if it was a thing that was done often. I don't know if I've experienced it before. I really liked it in this because it's one of my favorite writers and one of my favorite current artists. And the scene where like Barbara Gordon switches costumes with that other person, and she's in this other costume, and you she see her big, strong woman shoulders and her <laughs> long hair. There are several very erotic scenes in this issue. That is I well there's from this conversation, I'm going to be bumping my score up. Yeah, I'm gonna guy just for those details I missed, like. Uh, when our, him and um, the actual villain, whose name I forgot, are on the motorcycle, you see their changing expressions reflected in in the side view, the driver's side mirror of the motorcycle. Yeah, which I hadn't noticed when the first time I read this. The entire issue is peppered with ways that you are seeing Nightwing <laughs> without being able to see him. Like you're seeing his reflection all the time, and I love that. Wow, this is impressive. I'm going to go 9.5, and I think they need they deserve to be nominated for an Eisner for it. Oh, has this book not been nominated for an Eisner? I believe it has, but I think okay, that this, this issue this deserves single issue uh, nomination, God, particularly gonna, from I'm, an art perspective. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to go a nine for it's so well done. Even even a gimmick that I don't particularly like, it's so well done. Do you and think... I don't want them to do it again, but I love that it was here for one issue. You said a nine, Roman. Yeah. Yep. Do you think that? Uh they talk about what kind of gimmick they're going to do for the storytelling. Cause they also had the, the issue that was all one long panel. I think their buddies <clears throat> like one Twitter meme that's going around lately is like how it started, how it's going. And it's just this shot of Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo and the colorist, like in a bar, like clearly kind of drunk and having fun. <laughs> and then it's a shot of like this issue. And nice. I, I think it's a very fun collaborative thing. I, I bet like my feeling for it and kind of in response to Will's question is like, it feels like friends who are working on something who are having fun, trying to look at it from a different perspective together. And as soon right. as one mentions an idea, they start to get excited off of, you know, each other. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the feeling I get. Well, did you guys read time before time 24? I heard this was like the one that you can read having not read the whole series. It, it oh certainly gosh. is one you could do that with. And do they actually start to get into the consequences of time travel with this one? Because I've heard that like 24 issues in, they're not really getting, they haven't really tackled that. So you're reading comics Twitter then? 
to to know all this stuff about it. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, it uh, actually I don't need to go to the things. Twitter for that. I have I do a podcast with the comic twat. Oh, I am go boring. The comic twat comic twat. Yeah. Yeah, you don't no. need a Twitter for that. We've got the twat right here. I'm going to change <laughs> our uh, the image on our podcast to say Jeff and Roman and the comic twat. Django, if you had the ability to change the image on our podcast, you would have done it a long time ago. I have tried for three days in a row <laughs> to fix that thing. I have a window on my browser that is just... It's, it's five tabs of researching and pages that I'm supposed to go to to fix it, and I cannot figure out what the heck is going on with it. Hey, Django, I don't a ton of times want to be petted for things, but that Twitter comic twat, you being the comic twat thing, I'm pretty proud of. It's I pretty like good. I like it's that a lot. Like it's that pretty a good. Lot. Like, yeah. As someone who's not on Twitter, twit, twat, Right. I'm, right. I'm, I'm proud of like, it. Like, like that's, the, that's the thing that elongated muskrat owns. Is that right? Yeah, I consider you an elongated muskrat. Oh, oh we the rich musk. guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh. That boo boo. Uh, what else do you guys want to talk about? I got one on my list I'm for is sure it would red like. Red and to... black? It is. Me too. Let's talk about it. Roman, did you read the red and black comic? That one he's holding up, Tenement? Yeah. Uh, well, no. they, they can't see that I'm holding it up. That could did have been you a secret, read, Roman. Have no. you been reading the Bone Orchard stuff? Uh, the last one I read, I think the last one I read that I remember is, I think the first one they did about the, the well on the island. So you didn't read the previous miniseries that was really fucking good. I don't remember what was the it called? two young girls, uh, ten thousand black feathers, ten thousand black feathers. Oh no, I didn't. It was phenomenal. Um, I so getting into this one, Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino, Dave Stewart. I uh, this is easily my favorite creative duo that makes horror comics. Yeah, I... and, and that's what like was very clear to me in this issue. Yeah, but I actually I remember Roman, you have mentioned that you. On top of on the term of like, the idea of gimmicks, you're a little bit post Andrea Sorrentino, if I remember correctly. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I really liked them on the Gideon, the Black Barn, whatever that was called. Yeah, Gideon. Gideon Falls. Falls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then the next couple things after that was all the exact same stuff to me, to my eyes. So I was like, eh. like a Sorrentino. Thanks. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Oh come on, Jeff. I don't get it. Sorrentino. <laughs> you- thanks. What does that mean? I don't get it. I tried. No, thanks. Okay. 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 I I do get it. And I like it. Pat me on the head. I know I'm there. I just like, you saw me look off to the side. I repeated. I tried to get it. I just didn't process it correctly. Sorrentino things. Sorrentino things. Yeah. 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 I'm not in Roman's boat for that though, by the way. Okay. Yeah. I fucking love Sorrentino. Yeah. um, They are one of my favorite artists for sure as well like this week was several of my favorite artists had comics out um and this book like the previous one doesn't have a clear linear relation to the first hardcover that came out but there is this horror thing there is this idea of him who exists beyond some sort of veil maybe Mm -hmm. in this place um but the real conceit of this issue is that we're introduced to this tenement hall and it starts off with a narration about these seven characters and you spend the issue kind of getting to know them, but in a really cool way, like you'll be walking with them down a hall and it'll just like then cut, like you'll see another character and then you'll start following them instead. And it's like really yeah. natural in that way that Sorrentino Roman, I would recommend checking this issue out because this is very Sorrentino, but 
they are exhibiting that ability to play with the medium in a way that is not necessarily exactly like the way they have done it mm. in the past. Like there is some pretty cool narrative devices here. Oh, cool. Okay. I, I think uh, this is probably the biggest cast of characters that we've seen Sorrentino work with. Yeah. You're saying it's a team book. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a team of people who live in a shitty apartment building. <laughs> <laughs> um. And that intimidated me right out of the gate. It's what, two, four, it's seven main characters that we're introduced to on page two. And that's a lot of people to track. Yep. Um, And because it's a tenement, it's, you know, it's a high rise and like a, like a low income high rise. Everybody's kind of living a bummer of a life. It seems like, Mm -hmm. Um, but I, about halfway through, I realized that I wasn't having a hard time keeping up with who I was looking at and who I was hanging out with. Totally. Even even like the page that is, you know, probably 14 panels. I'll bet it's 14 panels showing each of those people twice. Um, we didn't have, like I, I, I could tell who was, who was who and what was going on. And the page turn right after that was, you know, as, as close to a jump scare as you're likely to get in comics. And it's a very simple panel and very fucking creepy just this this uh, this shot that you don't expect and when you see it it's kind of irrational like that can't happen um, and I love how Sorrentino just has the ability to bring you so into that world that you can actually be scared when you turn the page of a comic book yeah that's a fantastic point and I didn't think about that but I totally agree I can't remember what book it was exactly I feel like within the last two episodes we were talking about a Oh, it was um, Cormac. I was talking about like an artist I like a lot, but I have a mm-hmm. hard time fully distinguishing who is who super clearly all the time. And in this issue, you're dealing with seven characters drawn by Sorrentino, who typically is a little bit dark as well. Um, yep. People in shadows and stuff, but they all have really distinct physical features. They're all very distinct characters. I had no yeah. problem discerning who was who. So Django, that's a really good point. Um, it's It's... It's pretty impressive art. Then on top, like storytelling art on top of being the very atmospheric thing that draws you in. And just like you said, it takes a special kind of artist like uh, Campbell and Infidel, you know, yeah. to be able to turn a yep. page and get spooked out by it. Um, About another tenement. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Yeah. Actually, there were echoes of that book in this to me. Yeah. Um, but that makes sense. Yeah, this is very good. And the art, is wonderful for me and the writing is great jeff lemire um you could consider him one of the best artists or writers in comics for his slice of life stuff and just Mm -hmm. leave it at that and he would be one of the best writers in comics in my mind and then the fact that he is also one of i think the best horror writers currently yep is insane to me because it's like they seem like totally separate muscles and he is so good at both of them um i can't th- you know like hickman is probably my favorite current working writer but like he doesn't have the versatility i would say that jeff lemire has yeah and and jeff lemire has like i don't know he's got a real knack for the modeling i think in mm-hmm. both the slice of life and the horror yeah right like yeah. that i think that that's a really good setup for the, both of those types of stories the pain of everyday life the pain of mundanity yeah yeah the yeah. pain of getting by yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't wait. This is a 10-issue mini. The previous one was five issues, and the, obviously the first one was a, a standalone OGN. 
Um, if you liked Gideon Falls, I think you should read all of these things. If you've read a single one and enjoyed it, I think you should read all of them. I'm incredibly excited to see what the rest of this miniseries is going to hold, but also what this Bone Orchard mythos overall is going to be. I think it's a really cool experiment. I have talked to some people who are upset that like the first story came out as a small hardcover and then the second was coming out as issues. And then this is a 10 issue one. I no, they're going to do them all in matching hardcovers. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, I no. bet that they all just break down to like five to 10 issue small hardcovers that will have gorgeous spines that all look good. But yeah. Um, yeah, some people being upset that like I had to buy a hardcover and then I had to buy issues, assuming I'm then going to buy the hardcover as well. And I was like, you don't have to do shit. You don't have to do shit. You should just <laughs> enjoy the comic. Um, but yeah, I, Jang, I'm not sure what your score is. I gave this one a 9.0 as well. I gave it a 9.0 as well, Jeff. Hell yeah. Okay, okay. Just for people who are listening who might not love horror, this one is not, so far, we don't know what comes in the next nine issues. It's not gruesome. No. It's it's tense, but it's not gross. Yeah, right? I think, yeah, I agree. Well, it's definitely not gross. And I think that you brought up an interesting point earlier, which is that idea of the separation between like, the, I guess, maudlin being a jumping off point for horror and slice of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is kind of what's horrific about this. Yeah. In the way that Gideon Falls was also horrific when there weren't like people throwing up bugs. Right. Um, but yeah, you're trapped in an existence. You're trapped in a low income home. You're trapped in this surrounding of people who are in similar situations to you. And there's bad things going on. Like it's horror in a much more sociological sense, which again, goes back to that point of like that connection between everyday life slice of life stories and horror is, is makes a lot of sense um, because I think uh, it's very easy to turn mundane everyday life into a feeling of claustrophobia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, this does that well, but yeah, it is a type of horror and this one specifically, you know, like the first one had a naked old lady in it. And that's a horror trigger for me. You know, mm-hmm. it's like gruesome oh, yeah. stuff. I'll it's turn like a, that fucking TV off. Yeah, instantly. I don't need to see a naked old person. There's yeah. something about that. that freaks me out. There's not even that type of stuff. I and mean, there's nothing gruesome. They're, like, the most gruesome thing in here is there's a fly at one point. And there is a tree who's got people hanging from it. But um, no guts, no guts, not even visual image of viscera, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just. Yeah, I love that these two did Gideon Falls together and are keeping it going. This is yep. this is a power team in my mind for comic mm-hmm. books. I totally get feeling maybe a little bit played out on their art, but I am not at all. I, no. I think they continue to innovate in a way that's amazing. Do you guys like Avengers number two? Oh, Roman's still here. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Um, I don't read teen books, Jeff. Oh, right, right, right. You hate teens. I <laughs> but, forgot yeah. that. But it's not it's not Tom Taylor. Um, it was so awkward to watch who? him have two sons as teens for a while. But thank <laughs> God they're both in their 20s now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did read Avengers number two. I forgot I read it. But, yeah. I just, just want to throw, throw out. I liked it. I liked the first issue. This is Jed McKay. Um, and it's the Captain Marvel led team between what Kelly Thompson did with that character and what Brie Larson has done in the films. I I really warmed to the character of Captain Marvel. I like her a lot and you get a lot of King in this issue as well. And, and uh, I liked it, but I'd like to hear if Roman has deeper thoughts than I do. A lot of shirtless Kang. Yeah. I, that's a down. That's a, it loses a half point because it's a whole issue of Kang and he's a guy with no shirt and no mask on. 
And that's a fucking missed opportunity. Yeah, which we don't need because his mask is awesome. But without his mask, he's another Just a guy. He looks like Hercules. Well, he, he he's another uh, Doctor Strange, Tony Stark looking mm-hmm. dude. Does he look like Jonathan Majors? No. Wow, no. they <laughs> they reversed complexion. engines on that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. They, they went full on white guy for this king. Yeah, they're they're sticking with the classic white king. Yeah, my um, least favorite type of cake. Um. Yeah, did you did you have thoughts on this? It's Avengers. It's a main Marvel I, book coming out right now. I don't really have thoughts on it. It was it was fine. Um, I like I like the team. Um, I love the fact the Vision is back because I love the Vision. Yeah, but this actual issue is like yeah, it was all right. I like it. I like it. I like this book. If you were a little burnt out on the Jason Aaron run of Avengers, this is a very different, like tight team book. A lot of kind of exploration of the way that they communicate while solving problems as a team of seven or so people. Um, I, I like it. I'm not in love with it, but I'm giving it an 8.0. Uh, this issue was good. Uh, and it planted a bunch of seeds for cool upcoming things. I think. Yeah. yeah. I'll give it a seven. Yeah. My favorite thing in it was actually was the scene with uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America and the truck driver. Yeah. That was a great scene Yeah, where Sam's like, well, you know, I hope we get this load of vaccines to wherever it's going. I'll drive. I really like Captain Marvel in charge of the Avengers. I like her responsibility. I like the way, like the kind of multi-page scene her here with them talk, narrating about her, how she's just been obsessed with watching this screen and solving these problems. Uh, she's, you know, she's got a military-ish background. I, I, I really like her at this point. Carol Danvers has really become a character I've, I've become fond of. Jeff, I'm looking at our our numbers for Avengers here as yeah. I'm entering our they reviews. are light. They are low. Yeah, for they a main Marvel a series, I know. like that's weird to if, me. If you were to look at our Justice League numbers as well, you would find a very similar trend. It just hasn't. Like I know for a fact that there's been no interesting Justice League lately. Yeah, well, for sure. And I don't know that about the Avengers. They all died like ten months ago, Django. If you remember. They just disappeared. Well, they died. They told us they died, but they just disappeared. Oh, I guess I should have followed up on something. Um, <laughs> but that was the end of that series. But yeah, they're both like low teens. And yeah, which is wild. It's just wild, which is why if you're trying to subscribe people to Night Terrors, you use Titans as your reference point and not Justice League. Justice League. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. Yep. And yeah, the Avengers one equally low. Very, very interesting. Uh, the Jason Aaron run, I think, went on a very if that's an interesting just spot of comics right now like a long run does not mean that there are a lot of people reading it like it used to like jason's aaron yeah. run was 50 or 60 issues and we had 12 subscribers or whatever um but i like, would be really interested to see if that is the same across the industry yeah right or like, other, even store to store right yeah like jason aaron is a name and they let him do it for a long ass time. Yeah. So it must not have been losing them money. Like Marvel's pretty quick to cut somebody off when they're not they're not putting money. They're in also the very quick to reboot a numbering, right? Yeah. And I, I, I think that like as much as that is a frustration for me as someone who orders comics, um, I think it makes sense. You know, yeah. like I that Jason Aaron book was great, but we needed we needed an opportunity to have 25 subscribers instead of 12. Right. Um, and while this one hasn't hit yet, uh, I'm liking it more than the beginning of the Jason Aaron one, personally. I mean, Jed McKay's good. He's good. He's good. Yeah. And he writes some good characters. I gave it, yeah, like I said, an 8.0. And Roman gave it a 7. 
Do you guys read Saga? Roman doesn't. Jang, are you reading Saga? Yeah, I'm reading Saga. That was some sad shit in this episode. Um, yeah, that was some pretty sad shit in that episode. Uh, the saddest part was when Lion Cat said lying when the will was like, she'll be okay. And you're like, dang, that cat is emoting. And even more than dead people, I don't like sad animals. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is just like a candy bar to me every week. Yeah, it's really great. I don't care about any of the characters, really, but I like checking in with it every single time it comes out. I, I've missed there somewhere in the pantheon of issues of Saga. There's like a full trade paperback I didn't read. And I don't know where it is specifically, but I just know there's some resonance that I'm missing. Like I had fallen off. It was maybe like maybe like 10 issues I read the couple right when it before it quit. But maybe there's like a 10 issue run there. But anyway, so like Prince Robot or like why his kid is hanging out with us. Right. Like there's just some shit that I'm like, I don't really know. But I, but yeah, anyway, since it's since the reboot or the re return, I've been reading every issue and I totally agree. It It's just like a candy bar. I don't have particularly strong connections to anybody either, um, right. except for the cat. And I don't want to stop reading it, but I don't really remember issue to issue what's going on yeah i know exactly as i started i was like oh right okay i remember what happened last time but it was not something i was keeping in my head i tell you what though i was i had the i was when i finished that issue and there's like a significant death in it and my thought was like i don't super know how much i want to keep reading a thing where like the only consistent thing is that I get sad because they kill off characters a lot. But then I was I heard Django say like, yeah, but any comic that can make you feel that strongly is probably a comic worth reading. So I was like, yeah, you're right. I'll keep reading it. But also, that you know, I bounce back that feeling of like between that feeling of I don't necessarily love just feeling bad in things. That's not like I like the the kids journeys. Yeah. And the mom being like kind of bad at being a mom, but but holding it together. OK. Yeah. Over and over. Like, I I'm not here for whatever I was here for in the beginning of the series, but right. I'm I'm definitely digging it. And I also I don't necessarily trust that anybody's going to stay dead in this. So, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think it's very interesting. The spot that that comic series sits in the industry of comics. Like, I don't think it's the best book coming out but it's it's like it's weird the breadth of <laughs> readership that it has and a lot there are a lot of people and always have been at the shop that that's the only book they get yeah you know and they're just like kind of <laughs> older folks and it's very interesting to me like i bet there's some other ones you'd like if you like that one if yeah. you're willing to we should we should make a like the three books you should read if you like saga a lot just and then we should image first yeah, and we should just start making those be like check the list of people whose only subscription is Saga and just like yeah. see if we could turn people on to other like really logical yeah things. Well, what do you give it? Uh, I gave Saga this week an 8.5. I think I'd give it an 8. Yeah. Yeah, I could go 8. I mean, like it's but then I'd probably go 8.5 because like it did make me feel real bad. And that one panel of Lion Cat saying lying while sad is an exceptionally powerful panel. I didn't remember who any of those characters were except the Will and Lion Cat. So yeah, the little the, the girl the girl that got off was like the little girl that they rescued from like the prostitution planet oh, in like the first okay. volume, and okay. she's like been kind of Will's surrogate daughter, and then right. he gave her to that Gwendolyn, who I think was like his wife or ex-wife or something. Yeah. Okay. I can't really remember. Yeah, like I said, it's 
in one eye and out the other for me. I remember the beginning more than I could really even know at all what happened in like the second third of it. The the kids <clears throat> and the mom loving their little tiny cabin in mm-hmm. the boat. I yeah. think like that's that's some very simple joy that I, I yeah. like about it. Yeah, that's a good one. Django, did you want to talk about time before time number 24 before we get out of here? Yeah, I read that. I had a really good uh, way of describing the consequences of what happens when you time travel. And That's try cool. To change the past. Like I've heard so far that they've actually kind of not dealt a ton with the consequences of time travel in that series. No, and you would think that they would have 24 issues in. Like, Well, it's one of the main conceits you can get into when you're dealing with time travel. Yeah, and what I don't know the if they just, like, did they not know? Had they not decided? Was it just not part of the story? Like, you know, because we get a very definitive what's what happens when you muck around with time in The Flash, in Back to the Future, in 112463. Like, I think 112463 is one of my favorite things. That Like, the more you try to change time, the more time itself throws up barriers, like gives you diarrhea so you can't get to the place that's going to change a canon event. Yeah, actually, so that, yeah, that's the Stephen King novel that was adapted into a small miniseries that starred James Franco. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, actually, you saying that, that might be the only time I've encountered that specific idea, which is that, like, right. if time has followed a path, that's now the easiest path for it to follow. So if you try to disrupt it, things will just happen to try and make this path of least resistance happen. Yeah. And it has keyframes. So, like, you know, so somebody who doesn't have a lot to do with the timeline can follow any path they want. Okay. But an gotta, interloper can't change a major event. That I've got has a question. I actually have two questions. First one is Roman also frozen for you. Yes. Roman is also cool. frozen for me, but he looks so, like he's working on something. He looks um, blurry. He's moving fast. My second question is that time, time before time, time after time, time number 24 time. time before time, time before time. Yeah. 24 issues in. Mm-hmm. It, I always wonder with each issue, is this an issue you could possibly read without having read the pre-existing stuff and get something out of it? 100%, Jeff. This is this is this a is jumping on point. This is like, I could hand this book to my mom and she could read a little time travel story. Wow. Okay. So that yeah. is cool. So uh, I've never heard about this series before. Time Across Time. Time before time. Uh, sorry, time before it's, time. Think of, think of the land before time, but okay. swap out the land with the time. Have you seen and, Land yeah. Before Time? Yeah, dude. Fucking Kiefer Sutherland does one of the voices. And no Kiefer way. Sutherland is the guy who sounds like Cillian Murphy in that trailer for Oppenheimer, which comes out the same weekend as Barbie. Yeah, I just, if you had just cut to the fucking chase and said, this guy sounds like Kiefer Sutherland from Land Before Time, I would have been like, oh, I know what he sounds like. <laughs> um, was he actually in that movie? Yeah, I'm looking up who that he is was. a pretty convenient callback to last week's episode, <laughs> dude. That all sometimes it feels like we're on the path of least resistance, you know, moving through our reality together. <laughs> um, well, this is we're in the right timeline. It, he was the voice of Braun in the land before time 10. Oh, the Jesus. great long neck migration. I didn't that see is, number 10. Dude, I saw number one in the theater with kids that my girlfriend was babysitting. Wow. That's how old I am. My sister's old my sister's older sister's first boyfriend watched the second one with me when I was like four. So similar thing. Do you still not know who Kiefer Sutherland is? I know who he is. He's oh, okay. twenty-four. I absolutely know who he is. You just don't know his like. voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He has such a distinct voice. Oh, I I didn't I didn't realize that. Um 
uh Django, I was watching that Smartless documentary show and I was like, man, it would be so crazy to go do this thing every week where they just like show up and don't know what's gonna happen and you just assume something's gonna come out yeah. of yourself. And I was like, I can't do that. Kind of except well, for that. with Django. I was like, <laughs> thank God I have a Django because you're the only person where I'm willing to get online for an hour and a half with very little preparation. And I know something's going to come out of it that at least I would like. We'll shit something out of our mouth. We'll shit something out of our mouths. Um, if you're wondering what happened to Roman, so are we. Yep. Uh, his screen froze and then he disappeared. And now it is just Django and Jeff. But this is not the first time this has happened. That brand new computer that we just gave him probably like the hard drive spun out of the top of the computer or, or asked for him to sign in again or something. It, he's not someone who wants to adapt to new technology readily. So this is not going to be a positive thing for him. If I had to seriously guess it's, it's his uh, $3 internet that's doing it to him that he steals from his neighbors. Like his neighbors are cheap and get shitty internet. And then Roman steals that. Is that true? So, I don't think he had, well, he might have Pogo Zone now or something, but it's discount internet for sure. So people pay for your internet, get your internet. If there's something worth paying for in this world, it's your internet. And also they're charging too much for it. And so hopefully we'll all have light speed soon or something. But it connects you to everything. It connects you to your fridge. That's true. If you use technology like Django does in an intelligent way, he's linked up to everything. But And I wish I had a camera in my fridge. Uh, if you want to be like Will Elmer, or if you want to be very different from Will Elmer, but contribute to this podcast in a similar way that Will Elmer does, you can send us an email or voicemail. You can do that by sending it to Jeff at the comicsplace.com. Nick Wankowski uh, over there in another state with another baby coming. I would have expected you to have a voicemail in by now, you salty dog. We got some other people, right? Like, should we just start dropping names? Yeah, Phil did send a, an email. Like he doesn't oh. seem like he's willing, you know, we, and we read it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem like he's willing to send a voicemail, but I do think we should keep haranguing him. I mean, one email got? in how long? Yeah. Maybe, maybe a couple emails in, in years and years. I mean, we've been doing this for 150 years. At least years. six. Did we mention that I celebrated my 10 year anniversary at the comic shop Dude, last we month? we didn't. We got to go out and party for that. Like a month or two ago. I just realized a couple of weeks ago that, yeah, I've been at the comic shop for 10 years now. I that was okay. supposed to be like a year long part-time gig. Wow, bummer. So mm-hmm. I, uh, you mentioned that the other day and I talked to Colette about it and not I not a bummer, not a bummer. No, not a bummer shop. at all. No, no. best place you can end up. I, uh, I, I had the thought like I should post something on social media about it. And then I second guessed myself and decided not to, because people might like bring you food and cake and like, that I, wouldn't just didn't, make me I didn't want you to put in a, in a weird spot. I no, I'm never a hundred percent. I get that. I get seven that. or eight years in. I'm still not a hundred percent sure how public you want to be about your anniversary. People who feel a lot are never very comfortable to be around, <laughs> you know, cause you're like, maybe I'm going to upset them for no reason at all. I'm going to bring you scones for oh, a party. It's pronounced like, scones, but scones, yeah. scones. Yeah, that upset me. That upset me. <laughs> Get your pronunciation correct, <laughs> bud. <Shit. laughs> um, you know the right. word for turtle in Russian? No. Slon. Really? That's what Mike Watney says. You want to spell it for me? S-L-O-N, I think. Slon. S- L-O-N. All right, I'll incorporate that into the future. Um, All right, well, thanks for hanging out with us. I am always in Jeff. I'm Roman. I'm Roman. I'm Django, and good night, everybody. Thank God.